This is the start of part two of the Say the Damn Score podcast with Wes Durham, the voice of the Atlanta Falcons. If you did not listen to part number one for whatever reason, you can find that just above on saythedamnscore.com or on your iTunes list or wherever you're listening. I'd recommend listening to part one first, but if you just want to skip to part two, feel free to do so. So thanks for tuning in, and here is part two of the Save the Damn Score podcast, episode 20 with Wes Durham. So with the travel of doing both Georgia Tech and Atlanta, let's just say hypothetically Georgia Tech was playing who's a long way in the ACC. Boston College used to be in the ACC. And the next day you had to go to Arizona. How did you make that yeah. work? Uh, you get out ahead of it. Um, you do everything you could to, like Georgia Tech, I will give you an example. Georgia Tech played Connecticut one night at 7 o'clock on a Saturday, and I took the first flight out the next morning to Seattle, landed at SeaTac, drove to the stadium, did the game, and flew home after the game. Day trip to the West Coast. Um, I've done that nine times in 12 years doing the games. Um, I've gone to the Rocky Mountain or Western time zone, Pacific time zone, nine times in a day trip. Um, This year I will do it at least, well, early in the year Atlanta will play Oakland. I'll get to Oakland on Saturday night, so I'll have a night there. But they play Denver and Seattle later in the year, and more than likely those are looking like day trips to the coast and back. So it happens. Um, and it's something that, uh, you know, you just kind of plan for. Uh, I've already done a rough run of the television games I may have on that Saturday and where the Falcons are the next day and what are my flying options. Uh, I learned after the first year of doing Georgia Tech and the Falcons, long before I got into TV, Logan, that I had to control my own travel. I didn't want to be relying upon somebody else. I wanted to have connections to people that could help me if I got in a bind, and I do, but I needed to lay out my own travel because I know what I'm capable of doing better than anybody else. So that was important to me to establish that in my second year because the first year I'd had two or three things that had happened that just really frustrated me that were out of my control because I didn't plan them. So you went into doing TV games, I believe, for what was the network? Was it Raycom? No, well, it's actually a combination of of networks. It's ACC football and basketball. Most of my stuff airs on what the ACC calls the regional sports network. And, I mean, it can be on Fox. It can be on any of the Fox regionals. At any given time, one of our games, like in week two, we'll do Florida State at 1230 Eastern time, which is 930 Pacific time, and it might be available in over 100 million homes that week. Um so, yeah, I'm, I'm a part of a, a, a Fox-produced ACC football and basketball, and then Raycom produces a package called the ACC Network, and I will do probably anywhere from, oh, I don't know, 8 to 12 basketball games for them in addition to the Fox-produced or Fox-aired ACC basketball package I'll do. Last year I did uh, 13 college football games, and I did 37 basketball games. So I had right at 50 events. Uh, for the ACC in football and basketball. So what was the reason for getting into TV after having a long and successful radio career? Yeah, I don't, I'm certainly not asking for specifics, but covering a D1 team and an NFL team, I'm assuming you're not hurting for money at this point. What was the motivation to put more on your plate and leave your comfort zone? Um, realistically, I was 47 years of age, and I had never really done television. 
I mean, it sounds simplistic, but there's a lot of truth to it. Um, I just decided that um, I wanted to see if I was good at television, to be honest with you. I'd never really done it. I wanted to find out if I was any good. And the story is pretty easy. Um, Basically, uh, in 2012 or 2011, I'm, I'm represented by Career Sports and Entertainment in Atlanta. And the guy that handles my affairs, Mark Carmody, and I were having a conversation about career goals one day. And I said, I really think I want to try and do television. I know there'll be some open dates in football. I said, if there's some football open dates and a couple basketball schedule twerks, you think I could do some TV? I just want to find out if I can do it. And he said, sure, we'll make some calls. And sure enough, in 2013, Georgia Tech's football schedule had four open dates, four Saturdays that they were off. They played two Thursday night games, and because of a 14-week schedule that year, Logan, they had two other Saturdays off. And we were going to do a couple of football games on those Saturdays that that Tech did not play. And then I was going to do a handful of basketball games, maybe three or four. And they weren't going to be ACC games. They were going to be like a SEC game here or a Mid-American game or uh, something in the Colonial. I mean, it wasn't going to be that. But I was going to do some games and just kind of find out if I enjoyed it. And if I did – and the tape looked good and people liked it, then, then maybe we could do something else. So um, realistically, Fox Sports had talked to Mark uh, about the possibility of me coming in and doing the second game of some double headers they had, which actually worked out for our schedule on those Saturdays. So they wanted to do a air test on some analysts. They were getting ready to hire a brand-new analyst um, to do their package, the lead analyst on the first game, the big game, not the game I was going to. So I went in and did a screen test with five different guys and 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 thought it went well and you know enjoyed it and kind of it was you know on a sixty inch monitor we just did the game there was conversation and so on and so forth and it was fine and the people there were great and it wasn't like a real game but it was close enough that they got a feel for me and I got a feel for kind of how their TV worked so one thing led to another <laughs> and about eight days later I got a phone call with my agent and. Said Mark said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, we're riding in a car. We're coming back from, ironically, the NSSA at the time in North Carolina. And he said, how much time you got on the road? And I said, well, Vicky and I are in the car, and it'll probably be four hours. He said, well, you're going to need to decide in four hours if you want to go to television full time. And pretty much, based on the screen test, the people decided that they thought I was capable of being the lead announcer on their ACC football and basketball <laughs> And really all I wanted to do was a couple games. But you know what? They say sometimes timing is everything, and the timing is everything sometimes, and you have to make a decision. And I took a leap of faith and bet on myself, Logan. I did. I I thought, you know what? If I don't do this, I'm going to regret this. And so I decided to sign up and walk away from Georgia Tech after 18 years and nearly 800 broadcasts of football and basketball at Georgia Tech and take the move to television. Now, there was there were a couple of things about it. Number one, I didn't have to move, okay? I could live here, still be in the Atlanta area, still continue to do the NFL. Everybody understood that. The second part was this. I was going to do a league I knew with television people who I was familiar with. I mean, I, I was a radio announcer for 18 years, but I knew the TV people. I knew the production people, all those type folks. So it was important for me that it was going to be a high level of comfort. 
And the, the other part was is that I just felt like it was the right thing to do. And believe it or not, the money was not a big driver in this. Um, in fact, the money is not as – there's not a lot of discrepancy in the two figures because of the way television is done, at least on this level. So um, I was I was very comfortable. I've been at peace with this move since I decided to do it. And I love Georgia Tech, love my experience, still have very close friends there who are in athletics and people on the campus and so forth. But I have not regretted the move for 10 seconds since I made it. What year did that happen again? June of 2013. I made the move on June the 10th, 2013. It's amazing how June has been such a trigger month in my career. <laughs> so I'm I made just... the move in June of 2013. So I'm just really curious. It was two years before that when your dad eventually retired from North Carolina. Was there ever a pull to apply for that opportunity and follow in his footsteps? No. It actually had been solved before he had retired. Um, I had been divorced. I got remarried in November of 2007, Logan. And I had very close friends at the university in athletics. And they asked me... um, a couple of years before my dad retired, if I would ever be interested in coming back, and I said I would. I said, but at the same time, you guys were going. It was going to be a business decision, and I. This is where I tell you about the business. I was not going to go to North Carolina on an emotional deal. I just wasn't going to go up there for you know whatever figure they threw out. They were going to have to cover the fact that I was a very I was well paid at Georgia Tech and well paid to do the NFL. And. You know, I've lived in Georgia now longer than I ever lived in the state of North Carolina. And there's something to be said about that. Georgia has really become home for me in a lot of respects. I love North Carolina, but, you know, I'm I'm a Georgian in a lot of respects. And so for me to leave to go back to North Carolina, it was going to have to be a good business decision. And I knew pretty much after telling them that that it was going to be a very low percentage that, that I would follow my dad. And, you know what, North Carolina had to make a change. My dad retired. Carolina had to do the best thing for Carolina. And if that was to, you know, to hire Jones, who's done a very nice job for them and things like that, then that's the right move for North Carolina. That's their business decision. I made my business decision by telling them what it was going to take for me to go. But, you know, there was no question I could do the games. Um, I sound like my dad on the air. Everybody says we look alike at at our particular ages. And so – you know, I, I would have I would have been fine going to North Carolina, but it wasn't emotional for me like a lot of people think it would be because I had already I had kind of already come to peace with it from a business decision that if that wasn't going to be the way it was going to go, then it wasn't going to happen. Take us through your game prep process oh. from uh, after a game Sunday to the next game. Um. Well, basically. If an NFL game is at 1 o'clock on a Sunday in the Eastern time zone and it's at home, uh, ends at 4, I'm usually at home by 6 or 6.30, depending if we stop and eat dinner on the way back out to our residence, which is 40 miles out of downtown. Um, and Sunday night, I'm, either, I'm doing a couple different things. One, I'm unpacking my bag, the game bag that I carry with me on the planes and everything else, of all the material and recycling the materials. Um, to put last week's game away and get ready for next week's game. Um, for me, Sunday night is about being organized because Monday morning is really the only time my wife Victoria and I have 
to spend with each other during the week and kind of get caught up on our lives, if you will. Um, so that happens usually Monday morning from about 8 o'clock to about 11.30. Um, I'll leave at 11.30 and drive 147 miles round trip to Flowery Branch where the Falcons Complex is and back to my home in Cartersville. Uh, and when I go to the Flowery Branch, I will tape a uh, radio show with a Falcons player and Coach Quinn and Dave Archer. And we will do a segment that airs on AtlantaFalcons.com talking about the Sunday game and getting fans ready for the next game, which will be the following week. Uh, drive home uh, mid-afternoon, usually get back home here at about mm, 530, uh, and I'll begin work on the college game on Monday night that I'll have on Saturday. Um, usually I'll have my spotters boards that I do on computer. I'll usually have those produced pretty quick. Um, I have a flash drive that has files from every year gone back, so it's not a build from scratch if it's a conference game. But if it's a non-conference game, I usually have to build the opponent from scratch, and I have the conference team, you know, whoever might be the other side of the game. I already have a, a sheet built, and it's just a matter of going in and fine-tuning the depth chart, coaching staffs, history, things like that. Uh, that's Monday night. Um, I have the depth chart for the NFL game on the next Sunday ready for the opponent the Falcons are going to play. And if I've got enough time, I'll whip that into shape so that's ready for Tuesday morning. Uh, Tuesday morning, we have a production call for our television game. We have it at 9 o'clock. Uh, usually lasts about 30 minutes. It's the producer, the director, and all three talent. And we talk about storylines. The producer will give us a couple different things about what we want to build. Um, and that call doesn't last particularly long, to be honest with you. Uh, also on Tuesday mornings, I do a local radio hit on the Falcon Flag Station in studio at 9.30. Uh, I'm on with the morning show there, and I do a 25-minute segment live in studio with them. Fortunately, the Falcons flagship station and the Fox Sports South studios are in the same building. That's a, that's a unique thing. So I will walk to the next building or the next floor, and I will do a – this year I'm doing an ACC Facebook Live and podcast with the people at Fox on every Tuesday morning. So that ends my time in Atlanta. I'll finish up about 1130. I'll drive back out to my home. And then on Tuesday afternoon, I will basically – go over a uh, drive and scoring summary sheet that I keep for both games. I'll finish that because it's all statistical based. You can just put it in its place on the cards. Uh, I develop a game card for both my college game and my NFL game. I'll lay the game card out the best I can. And then I'll spend a lot of time going through newspaper articles and reading on Tuesday, trying to build some things and making notes about my college game. And there's more method to that because Wednesday – is a usually we talk on Wednesday to the opposing team or the road team in our college game. We do a conference call with a coach and both coordinators, and that usually lasts about an hour and a half, and that's on Wednesdays. Um, also on Wednesdays this year, I'm going to do a show for two hours on the uh, College Sports Now, which is a IMG-produced event on TuneIn that's going to air on their app. Uh, so I'll do that show from 10 to noon usually. And then I will do Wednesday afternoon, I'll do a one-hour show in Raleigh, uh, talking ACC football and basketball with a station there. And then I will do a hit on Sirius XM on the College Sports Nation channel 
usually on Wednesday afternoons. So that's a that's a pretty full day for me. The other good thing about Wednesdays is that's when the NFL material arrives. Uh, usually comes in overnight from the team you're playing and from the Falcons. So that material will arrive here usually Wednesday by two o'clock. So Wednesday night, when I'm finished with all this radio stuff, um, I've had my conference calls. I've done all the radio things I need to do, and then all of a sudden, I have an opportunity to uh, bear down on both games. So I spend all Wednesday night. Then on Thursday, I will get up, work out. Then I will do Thursday. I will finish up the college game and as much as the NFL game as I can until about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Thursdays, Logan, I go to the airport. Now, a lot of guys don't do that. A lot of guys fly Friday. I fly Thursday night if I can because I like to be in the city and then have all day Friday morning to get a workout in, kind of take my time, pop it out of gear, if you will, from running hard the last three days so that I can spend Friday morning. And then usually we meet with the, the home coach and the staff and a couple players from like 12 noon to 2.30. And then when those meetings are over, and that's the producer and the three talent and sometimes the director, when those meetings are over at 2.30, we'll have a late lunch, and then we'll go into a production meeting in the truck. We'll have our truck meeting. There are about 16 people involved in that. And we'll have that truck meeting from, oh, let's say 3 to about 5.30. And then dinner on Friday night is usually very quiet. Uh, finish up work on my college game, and I will finish, for the most part, the NFL game that night uh, in the hotel. So the next morning when we get up, I leave the hotel about 8 o'clock. We have a crew call at 9 a.m., three hours, three and a half hours for our game. We kick at 12.30. The game ends at 4 o'clock. And I am off to the airport as soon as I can after the game is over to catch a plane. And I am trying to get either back to Atlanta or I'm trying to get to wherever the Falcons are playing the next day. All right, so we are over an hour. I have more questions I want to ask if you have time. If not, I totally understand, and no, I can I got get a few you underway. Sure, I got a few more minutes. Okay. Have you ever, covering two teams and having to go all over the place and you're going back and forth between teams a little bit in your preparation, have you ever mixed up your preparation and used <laughs> one team in the other game? Um, not until you just mentioned it. Um, <laughs> I have called Roddy White Roddy Jones. Georgia Tech had a player, a very successful player named Roddy Jones. Atlanta's wide receiver was Roddy White. And Roddy White became Roddy Jones a couple times. But outside of that knock on wood, it hadn't happened as much as one would think. So when that happens, how do you react to it? you just say, sorry, I met Roddy White, or do you just pretend I laugh on the air. I laugh on the air and say, I'm really sorry. I just called Roddy White Roddy Jones. And people people who know me in the Atlanta market are able to kind of understand it. (laughs) Um, But to me, Logan, they're two different games. College football and the NFL are two different games, even though my preparation is 99% the same for both. I feel different in a pro game than I do in a college game. And now that I've left Georgia Tech, it's an entirely different feeling on Saturdays than it is on Sundays. But even when I was doing radio for both on Saturdays at Tech and Sundays with the Falcons, it still felt different. They were different productions, different broadcasts, different crews. It was just me that was moving back and forth. So So what are what goes on in those conference calls that you mentioned? They go for an hour and a half. I know that covering local high school ball to get five minutes with a coach is like pulling teeth sometimes. 
What do you talk about in an hour and a half on those conference calls? What is the key information you're searching for? Well, really, in all honesty, it's a conference call for the analyst as much as it is for anybody else. The analyst drives the broadcast on television. And so when the analyst, when we get those coaches and those coordinators on the phone, uh, it's really about the analyst because he's the one that's going to break down what they're telling him. For me, it's more confirmation of personnel, depth chart, things like that. I mean, if I'm going to see somebody that's not listed on their depth chart, it would be helpful if the coach told me so we wouldn't look stupid, if you know what I mean. Um, so in reality, those conference calls, they, they tend to bounce from head coach to coordinator, defense, and offensive coordinator, whatever. But in reality, it's more about the analyst and him talking about the team. And then, you know, we do incorporate some storylines from it. I mean, the coach may tell us about a guy that we need to focus on and maybe we haven't had any thought of covering the guy. And so really what you're doing is the analyst confirms what he thinks and gets more information from it. And then the, uh, the other thing is, is that at the end of the day, um, one of the things that happens is probably you, you polish up your depth chart. Like if, uh, if there's a third or fourth string guy that's, that's going to be playing, I need to know that. Um, if there's a storyline about a player or if there's something else. And then scheme-wise, they break down the other team for you. They'll give you things about the other team that otherwise you wouldn't get. Are coaches mostly open with you? Um, 75% are. 75% are. I mean, we've had, we've had you know, guys who you know, carry on, have great conversations about the game and about their programs and everything else and so forth, and even talk about their families and you know, stuff that would never make the air. And then we've had guys who know who they're going to start at quarterback and won't tell us. I mean, literally won't tell us. And we're trying to figure out how we're going to do an open, and we kind of need to know, and they won't tell us. So, But I'd say on the whole, 75 85% are pretty good. They're really good. I mean, some are better than others in that 85%, Logan. I'd say about 10 15% in the three years I've done it are probably you know just so-so. So you mentioned something that I found really interesting at the one-day ticket event in Salisbury uh, in June, where you said – Every now and then you like to just do a high school game on Saturday, or excuse me, on Friday, just because of the challenge of it, because there's not as much information available and that it's actually right. the hardest to cover. How often do you do that, and what drives you to to go after that? Um, well, we did one two years ago on television. Dave Archer and I, who do the Falcons together, we did. Uh, we did a doubleheader two years ago, and we just did another doubleheader last Saturday night. Um, and true to form, it was as hard a broadcast as I'll ever do, in part because of the information. Um, but yet the challenge is we want to make that broadcast, and that's where, you know, when you have shared philosophies with your on-air partner, it really makes a big difference. Dave and I want that broadcast to sound like a Falcon broadcast. We want that broadcast to be like Dave doing the Raycom ACC package or me doing the Fox ACC package. I mean, we, we went down and met with a producer and talked to the director and talked about the kind of – Dave was able to get in deep about the kind of replays he wanted to see as opposed to maybe what they had shown earlier. And you know what? I think we did a fair job. I think we did a really good job. And in in one of our – our first game was a really good game. The second game um, was a little sideways because one of the teams was really beat up through their preseason practices and they didn't have a lot of their really talented players. So um, – you know, we we tried to do as good a job as we could. Now, 
two years ago when we did it, Logan, one of the teams we had changed 34 numbers right before kickoff. <laughs> okay? Been there. And Yeah, you've been there. And so that's what I meant when I said at the one-day ticket about the challenge of doing high school football. Um, you know, now the same, we had a number change the other night, but we only had 14 guys change numbers. So, but that's part of it too. And, you know, for a play-by-play guy like myself, my commitment was that I wanted to have name and number committed there to those high schools, much like I have name and number committed to memory for the college games or the pro games I do. Because, yeah, I, I remember playing high school sports and there was a radio broadcast or even cable access or even if they were just putting it on VHS tape to show to their grandparents later. You know, you wanted to show it. You wanted to you wanted to make sure you performed well. Well, the same thing goes for the announcers, too. I wanted to... I wanted to make sure that Mill Creek and Colquitt County and Archer and McEachern High Schools, who played in the second game, they had the Falcon announcers there, and they just wanted to. I wanted to make sure those guys felt like they were getting the same effort from us that we would give if it were week three in the NFL or a really big college game. So, working in Atlanta is known as one of the worst traffic cities in the country. How early do you leave for games, knowing that you live 40 minutes outside of downtown? And has there ever been any close calls getting stuck in traffic? Not in Atlanta. <laughs> uh, most of my close calls have been related to airports and landings and getting to stadiums. So, um, No, in Atlanta, during the weekday, you just got to be calculated as to whether you're going into town or out of town at what time. Um, if you're going into town early in the morning, uh, you go during rush hour, you're probably going to be in a lot of traffic. But if you leave your house really early, and I do when I go into downtown in the morning. Um, that's the way you treat it. It's no different than Dallas or Washington or Boston or Los Angeles or any of these other towns. You just got to figure out a way to make it work, and, and that's the bottom line. But um, it really hadn't affected me much on Sundays at the Georgia Dome because I'm usually there for a 1 o'clock kick. I'll get there by 10 a.m. because we've got some TV stuff we want to do and that type of thing. So what do you do to get better at your level, where you're more or less at the top? There's maybe a couple national broadcasters who you could aspire to reach that level, but there's not very many of them. You're one of 32 people in the NFL. You're good. What do you do to get better at this stage of your career? Um, I keep trying to challenge myself. I spend I spend time in the offseason you know, watching tapes and listening to stuff and trying to trying to say, hey, how can we get better at this? You know, how, how is this going to work? How can I be better? How can my, can my description be better? Can I have a cleaner presentation? Um, you know, do I do a really good job of if a guy just turned on the radio and listened for five minutes? I tend to listen to five- to eight-minute increments when I'm listening to my radio work because in those five- to eight minutes, do I make them feel like they're at the game? Do I do a good job of bringing them up to speed? And, you know, that's important. I mean, these two preseason games I've done so far, I've spent a lot of time focused on those five- and eight-minute increments because I want to make sure that, you know, some guy riding along flips on the station or hits the right button on the satellite that all of a sudden he hears the broadcast and knows exactly what's going on. And uh, and that's important. That's one of the things I focused on this year. The second part I focused on is I just want to be cleaner in the broadcast. I mean, I, I want to – that's one thing I always strive for because it's two different mediums. Radio is one thing, TV's the other. And um, it's fun to do, but it's also you got to make sure you got a clean, clean broadcast on both sides. And that's always the challenge. I mean, you know, you've heard people say there is no perfect broadcast. Well, you can certainly try to have one. 
you can certainly try to bowl the 300 or have the no-hitter or, uh, you know, shoot 58 like Jim Furyk did a couple weeks ago at the Travelers. I mean, you know, you can you can certainly try to have the perfect broadcast, and I'm, I'm, I'm certainly one of those guys for sure. So one of the questions that I really haven't asked people until very recently on this podcast is just because I recently got engaged and – I know that there's going to be challenges ahead with travel schedules and stuff. I know you mentioned earlier that you got divorced. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. But how? what are the strains that this career puts on relationships, and how do you overcome them? Well, that's a good question. Um, yeah, my divorce was part of the business. I mean, there was some, some factor in that. Um, I think I think when you when you have a relationship and you're looking for somebody to spend the rest of your life with, they need to know that what you do is not dictated by the conventional thinking of work. (laughs) In other words, you can do the work a lot of different ways and you can do it a lot of different places. Um, But you also have to live where the work is as opposed to going and hoping there's work. Um, You know, you live in the Dakotas. There are places in the Dakotas where there's work and there's places where there's not. And based on where you want to live, usually there needs to be work. Um, you know, you have, to, you have to live a little bit of a life of sacrifice. Um, if you get into doing kind of what I'm doing, you typically don't have Christmas on Christmas or Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving, or if you do, you have it early in the morning before you catch a flight that night or, or that type thing. Um, your friends' birthday parties, your golf game with your buddies on the weekends, your uh, college roommates getting married, any of those. I never saw any of my college roommates get married, and both of my best friends from high school got married on days when I was able to be there. And their wives will gladly tell you that. Um, (laughs) One of them scheduled their wedding on the only open date I had in an entire year because they wanted to get married on New Year's Eve. I couldn't do it because of the possibility of a basketball game. And so they got married on the the only open Saturday I had the entire year at Vanderbilt in 1993. Um, you know, that's that's part of it. But the in, once you get married or once you find somebody you think you want to get married or, or whatever the case may be, they need to understand that this is a job that is completely different than any other job. They're not marrying somebody who's an in insurance or um, even somebody who has the challenges of, like, going to med school or studying for the bar or things like that. This is an evolving business that requires you to be flexible, and uh, it's a wonderful reward business, um, and it pays okay. I mean, you know, you, you work hard, and you can have some success in this, and you get the thrill and the rush and the adrenaline of doing exactly what you wanted to do at 8 and 10 years old, and that's be part of sports. And that, to me, is the part that in the end is worth it. And if you work hard at it, you'll be good. And, uh, and I, think it's, I think it's one of the great blessings of the industry in that line. What are some of the weird physical locations you've had to cover a game from? College, I did a game on a scaffold with a phone line tied to a phone pole and a battery-operated Telfax machine with a headset on, and it was sleeting. <laughs> um, I've done a game from a bench 
at the top of a gym with a phone line running 15 feet. I used to carry 40 feet of phone line with me in college. Um, I did a game from a top bleacher because the only phone line was in an office. And so the bleacher had a wall behind it that went up about 8 feet and then dropped down about 14 feet on the other side. So I literally had to set the equipment on the bleacher beside me, had a uh, like a notebook with my sheets on top of it, and then I had to go run the phone line over the top of the wall, which I threw over the wall because I obviously wasn't going to jump eight feet in the air off the bleacher, through the, wall, through the phone line over the wall, went down the bleachers, out the door, back up two flights of stairs to the other side where the office was, and then pulled the phone line 20 feet down the hall and plugged it into a phone jack. Um and then hope like hell nobody would ever... No one tripped on it? <laughs> yeah. Um, and didn't have power. I mean, we had to have a battery-operated machine because the places we broadcast from at NAIA Division One just didn't have... There wasn't, there wasn't power readily available. Nobody thought of a power strip back then. I mean, it was plug into the wall and hope it worked, you know. So um, those were the two that I remember the most. Um you know, there there have been some tough ones. I mean, FedEx Field in Washington is no joke. You're low and you're in the corner behind the end zone, and when the ball goes to the other end, you really can't see the field. Um, I had to peek around a corner at Sky Dome in Toronto to do a Falcons and Buffalo Bills game a couple of years ago because the booth was so narrow that we couldn't fit our crew around, so it was easier for me to stand up. And as a result of standing up, I had to look out and stand behind my spotter and my color guy to see the ball when it went to the left in the end zone there. So I actually have a picture of me looking around a corner uh, at Sky Dome, which is, to this day, one of the funniest things ever. Who are your favorite below-the-radar announcers? Not the big national guys, but maybe some local guys who do small college, high school, or whoever you want to go after that you enjoy listening to that maybe a ton of people are not aware of. Um. Well, one of the guys who's a Division Three announcer who I think is really talented is a guy I've gotten to know over the years um, who does St. John's University in uh, in Minnesota, Mark Lewandowski. Uh, I think he's a very talented announcer. He's I've, I've heard his tape on a regular basis now for many years, and Mark does a really nice job. Um, it's very clean, concise, and he's doing Division Three games and. He's got a sound and, a, and an approach and presentation that you know that you can really get behind, and I think he's pretty good. Um, I think the guy that just got the Georgia Tech job, Andy Demetra, is uh, is a talented guy. Um, he did South Carolina basketball and baseball for years. Did their back-to-back College World Series a few years back. Uh, Andy's 35 and uh, has worked really hard in the business. I'm delighted he got a chance to do Georgia Tech. Um, I think um, I think Adam Amin at ESPN is a guy who's really, really good. And I know you said no national guys, but I don't think Adam – he's going to do the Friday night package on ESPN this year, Logan, and I think that will be a, a trampoline effect for Adam. I think he's really, really good. Um, Corey Provis is the voice of the Minnesota Twins. I know it's Major League Baseball, but I think Corey's really good. I've known him a long time. I think he's pretty talented. Um, I, I got to uh, – I got to hear Stephen Davis, who's the son of Bob Davis. We were talking about sons of announcers. Uh, Bob Davis, of course, who just retired at Kansas. I got to hear his son Stephen work uh, on tape a little bit this spring. And I think Stephen's a very talented guy. He's got a lot of ability. I think he's he's probably a guy that deserves an opportunity to uh, to move up soon. 
I think he's he's got a lot of qualities there. There's some there's some younger guys now doing games. Um, you know, they're in the ACC or the um, you know Mike Grimm at Minnesota. I think Mike's been on your podcast. I think yes, he Mike has. Is, I think Mike is really good. How do you just happen to have so many Minnesota contacts? You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I believe in, in knowing guys who work in various leagues. I mean, I think that, that helps you grow in this industry to be able to pick up the phone and talk to guys. Um, I think Salisbury has been a great conduit for that for me on some announcers and other guys I've met in passing um, doing, uh, you know, doing games. Um and some of my best friends, like I said, you know, work in other leagues now, and guys who I stay in contact with just because we're friends. Um, so, but um, yeah, I, I know somebody that works in every league, every every major league, and in, in, and I know some Sun Belt guys and things like that. But I know guys who are uh, I know guys in just about every conference in the country. I think and so, that's good. I think it's important. So this will be the last question that I ask you. I could probably do this for another hour, but I got to let you get going, get on with your life here. What was watching a game on TV like in the Durham house growing up? Because I know that my parents used to yell at me for broadcasting, fake broadcasting the game when it was on TV when we were watching Nebraska games. You probably would do that. Your dad obviously was an announcer, and your brother's involved with the industry. I don't know if he ever actually did announcing or not. What was just watching a game like in your house growing up? Um, you know, when my dad was doing the game, we didn't hear the announcers on TV. We always had the sound down on the radio up. Um, in fact, my mom would clean the house when my dad did games. That was pretty funny. The vacuum would run in various rooms of the house, and I couldn't hear my dad, and I'd really get upset. Um, you know, when my dad and I watched games, even here recently together, we watched Georgia Tech play Mississippi State in the Orange Bowl uh, a couple of years ago together at their house in North Carolina. And it was fascinating because my wife is a huge Georgia Tech fan. She was going crazy. And my dad was like... I know Vicky's excited, but can we watch this game? <laughs> so it was, that was pretty funny. Um, but we enjoyed watching the game together as a kid. Um, you know, I don't know that we watched a lot of games together. And if we did, I'm not sure we paid attention to much of the announcers. Um, I mean, I think we were watching the games because we were interested in the game as, as much as who was doing them. Um, I know he has, uh, he always pointed out guys he thought were doing really good jobs. And I do remember that vividly. I mean, people that did a solid job, like Gary Bender on CBS back in the day and uh, things like that. Dick Enberg was a favorite of my dad's. Um, you know, so I always kind of focused on guys he, he really enjoyed watching. And we tended to watch those guys if we were just watching a game. Um, you know, that type deal. So when I, you I get a night that. off, do you mm-hmm. watch a game or do you just do something else because you need to get away from it? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't do anything like you would think. I listen to music. I mean, I have a system at my house. I like country music. I like uh, old rhythm and blues music, uh, you know, stuff from the 70s and 80s. So uh, we'll turn on music in the house and that kind of thing, sit on the back porch, that type deal, and I won't watch anything. I rarely watch baseball. Um, I enjoy baseball, but I rarely watch it. I listen to it a lot on radio, and because of the satellite radio, and the apps and so forth. You can listen to just about any game. And in fact, a summer ago, I made a 
point to try and listen to every major league broadcast that was available and listen for at least three innings. And I did. I listened to every broadcast in the majors a year ago uh, during the summer because I thought that would be something to do. And you never know. You might pick something up. And I do very little baseball on TV. I do college baseball at the end of the spring. But, um, you know, it was fun to do. And I do the same thing with football and basketball. I'll listen to basketball games during the course of the year because I'm interested in the teams. And if it's a friend of mine, I'll definitely listen. I'll listen to friends all the time because – I enjoy listening to people who I know whose work I respect. And, um, you know, you can always learn something, man. If you quit thinking you can learn something, you're missing business, I think. So I just want to finish up by, I know you mentioned earlier that you love to give back. And just from someone in my perspective, sitting in my chair, that obviously means a ton to me. And I'm sure that that is just echoed by people all over the country who you have helped out and who you have given your time with basically nothing that benefits you in return. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. Hey, I appreciate it. It's, um, you know, Logan, it's rewarding to be in this business and have a little success and be able to, to talk with folks like yourself who want a career in this business, who want to move in this business. And I think that's why the one day ticket was so important. Um, I, I'm, I was flattered I was asked to come back and speak. Uh, I enjoy going to Salisbury just for the sheer point of meeting guys who want to be in the business, who want to learn something about the business. And, you know, there's a lot to learn about it. It's a, it's a multifaceted, multi-platform deal. And the more everybody can kind of stick together and, and kind of get on through it a little bit, I think it really helps. All right. If someone wanted to reach out to you, how would they do that? Easiest way is on Twitter. Um, just have them... Uh, Write me a, uh, um, you know, have them drop me a note on Twitter, and uh, and we can get connected that way. At West Durham, it's pretty easy, and um, I'm hard to contact during uh, uh, during the course of the season. But I'm really good in the spring, and um, you know, we can kind of go from there. Thanks again to West Durham. He is the voice of the Atlanta Falcons, and formerly of Georgia Tech. Does. ACC games on TV, and who knows where else you can hear him. He might just be doing a high school game someday as you're driving along in the state of Georgia. So thanks to Wes. If you want to follow him, obviously do so. If you want to follow the show, you can follow Radio underscore Logan on Twitter, or you can follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash score. Or you can follow on iTunes or Stitcher and you can subscribe to SayTheDamnScore.com where you will get not only podcast updates but blog updates as well. That is on the top right corner of SayTheDamnScore.com. So thanks everybody for tuning in to another really fun to record podcast here on the Say The Damn Score pod on the SayTheDamnScore.com podcast. I am Logan Anderson. Thanks for tuning in and remember next time you're on the air to Say The Damn Score. <laughs>